This is the audio version of the Fleet Street Fox column for Monday, March the 21st, 2022. Five things Rishi Sunak could do to put more money in your pocket and why he won't bother. This week, a man who has delivered more tax rises than any Chancellor of the past half a century will get up on his hind legs and tell you he wants to cut them. And then he won't. What he'll do instead is slice a few pennies off fuel. And while you might think this is a dandy idea, all it does is reduce the government's cut and leaves the profits to oil companies who may or may not decide to lower the price you pay at the pumps. By cutting the cost of petrol and diesel, Rishi Sunak will take money out of the NHS. Road repairs, schools, bin collections, social work, home help and a thousand other things you don't notice as much as the cost of a full tank but need in order to survive just the same. The fact he'll do it while telling you he's making life easier for the average man on the street is a flat lie from someone who is at no risk of ever having to choose between filling up on fuel or food. It's classic Torynomics, the maths of keeping rich people rich as opposed to making the poor better off. But what more could he do, the backbenchers cry. Vladimir Putin's put up the price of oil and gas. The pandemic has caused supply chain problems and working from home has pinched the economies of our cities. We've lost £44 billion worth of trade since Brexit. There are traumatised Ukrainians and Afghan translators to accommodate. We're full. We're broke. We're buggered. Plus, it isn't easy being green. But there are some quite cheap and easy ways that he could put some money in your pocket. And he's not going to bother with any of them. Number one, insulate every home in the UK. The quickest way of saving money on energy bills is to insulate your home. The rate of doing this has stalled, and while not everyone wants or can afford full net zero compliance of the sort which insulate Britain crackpots demand, it is possible for lots of us to do better, if we had help. Cutting 20% VAT on insulation of any sort, plus the same for adding solar panels, wind turbines or heat pumps, would make a big difference. He's not going to, because it's not sexy. And why should you lot get something for less? Number two a windfall tax on energy firms. Shell is on track to post a £23.6 billion profit this year, while BP is likely to make £15.5 billion. Oil firms are taxed high already, 40% compared to most companies, 19%. But let's face it, they're at no risk of the workhouse. And it will produce a massive, immediate, undodgeable payday for government which could use it to bring down bills. He won't, for fear that it sets a precedent, which was the opposite of his reasoning when he said he'd have to raise taxes on a one-off basis just because of the pandemic. Number three, he could raise the national insurance threshold. Next month, everyone with a job and every firm will be paying more for the privilege. The 1.25% hike Rishi will talk about is more accurately described as 10%, because NI contributions will be going up by about a tenth, from 12% of pay to 13.25%. It's expected to raise £12 billion a year for the next three years and will be given to the NHS to repair pandemic damage. But he's also asking the NHS to save £4.75 billion in, quotes, waste. If you think the NHS is currently wasteful, it's not clear how throwing another £7.25 billion at it is going to help. If you think the NHS is underfunded, Giving it billions with one hand and taking billions with the other also won't help. So what's happening is you're getting taxed 
10% more for something that's not helpful in any scenario. In any event, it shouldn't be paid by the poorest. Raising the threshold at which you start paying from £9,568 to the same as the income tax floor, £12,570, would be fairer, and he won't do it because it effectively creates a tax-free basic income for everyone in work. It would mean less poverty, less disease, better nutrition, better health, and in the years to come, lower costs for the NHS and social care. But why should the bleeding obvious matter a jot? Number four, make Brexit better. The UK waved goodbye to £44 billion worth of cross-border trade with Boris Johnson's bad Brexit deal this year, at just the time the effects were worse thanks to the pandemic and now the war crime spree in Ukraine. There's a simple way to restore every penny of it though, which is to end all tariffs and customs checks by complying with EU standards on goods and services. Turns out they weren't so bad after all. And there's not a human in the world who wants to fill in 74 pages of customs declarations if there's an option to not do so. This won't happen either, because it would involve a government built on falsehoods and ignorance, admitting publicly that it doesn't know the first damn thing about what it's doing, which would make Rishi look like the best economist in a field of financial morons. Number five, resign. The worst chancellors in British history are the ones who presided over growing poverty because they didn't know what it was. They never went hungry, never shivered, never missed out because they couldn't afford to exploit an opportunity. The better ones did experience that and knew the price paid for being poor. They knew that it led to sickness, squalor, worse workers, lower tax takes, public health problems and generational national failure. They could see how hungry children led to lower GDP and they wanted to fix it. Little Rishi argued that feeding children was too expensive. He said helping the self-employed was too difficult unless they were able to provide some PPE and had a Tory's phone number, in which case he happily threw billions at them, no questions asked. He didn't have a problem giving visas to rich Russians and now the government he's part of is rationing the welcome mat for poor Ukrainians. He seems to resent helping to keep factories open and Brits in work. So if he pulls P&O's Freeport contracts on the basis it's fired a third of its UK workforce and employed Filipinos on two quid an hour, realism itself will seek the therapist couch. There are global and difficult economic problems to resolve. It requires someone with empathy, experience and imagination to tackle them. Instead, this chancellor will do tiny things bijou cashbacks, petite lies, small-minded solutions that solve nothing. That's why he's little Rishi. Thinks little, knows little, does little. The spring statement on Wednesday will be nothing more than Torynomics, bedtime stories from a man whose only real goal in life is to replace the party-mad pillock in number 10 rather than nurse a nation back to economic health. You'll never get any financial sense from a man who spends 180 quid on a coffee cup and 95 pounds on slippers. This is the Fleet Street Fox column for Friday, March the 25th, 2022. The Kremlin says Boris Johnson is a threat. We just don't know who's in charge of him. It's official. Boris Johnson is an absolute weapon. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov 
who, despite working for a president who's just outlawed journalism, is holding regular conference calls with any who haven't been jailed yet, labelled him the number one threat among foreign leaders. The state-run Novosti news agency quoted him saying, As for Mr Johnson, we see him as the most active participant in the race to be anti-Russian. It will lead to a foreign policy dead end. Sorry, that sounded a bit Sean Connery. Brexiteers and Remainers alike always thought Boris was de bomb. But what matters most with every weapon is who's wielding it and what it's pointed at. In a tough talking appearance in the House of Commons, Johnson said, By annexing Crimea in 2014, igniting the flames of conflict in eastern Ukraine and threatening Western democracies, including by interfering in their elections, Russia has challenged the fundamental basis of international order. He listed the things the UK has done to punish Russia, saying, We responded with strength and determination, expelling four Russian diplomats in 2007, suspending security cooperation between our respective agencies, and then, by leading the EU's response to the annexation of Crimea and aggression in Ukraine, by toughened sanctions coordinated with the US and other allies, targeting Russian state-owned banks and defence companies, restricting the energy industry that serves as the central pillar of the Russian economy and constraining the export of oil exploration and production equipment. The problem is he said all that in 2018 as Foreign Secretary, following the attempted assassination of Sergei Skripal in Salisbury. And for all the tough talk, Vladimir Putin was nevertheless able to build up a £100 billion stockpile of gold bullion, ramp up his military and invade Ukraine. In the intervening years, Johnson has given a peerage to the son of an ex-KGB colonel, ignored security service advice on just about everything up to and including his own phone, denied Russian interference in elections of exactly the sort he had previously said there was, and party with Russian Tory donors on the same night that he knew the Z-heads were about to start bombarding Ukraine. He even managed to keep British citizens locked up in Iran, a feat beyond most foreign secretaries who aren't Russian. Throw in the fact he holidayed, according to fellow travellers without family, luggage or police protection, in the Italian villa of Evgeny Lebedev, now barren Siberia, and it would seem that Putin has good reason to feel a little bit peeved. In a Western world that was reliably inactive, Johnson was the most publicly vocal, yet secretly slothful, in terms of stopping Putin. But now, the pet politician has turned and bit the hand that fed him caviar at oligarch parties. He's issued statements in Ukrainian, suggested hosting the Euros be given to Volodymyr Zelensky and claimed Russia has all but lost the war already. In the past few days, UK sanctions have caught up with those of other countries, even to the point of freezing the assets of the London-based stepdaughter of Putin's crony Sergei Lavrov. Today, it's reported Johnson will send anti-missile systems to Ukraine and cooperate with the US in stopping Putin spending all that gold. And all this from a man whose Brexit schemes, according to the former UK defence attaché at the Moscow embassy, Carl Scott, greatly emboldened those in Moscow. He told the FT that he now despaired at the prospect of finding credible leadership at home in the UK among those who have compromised so long with his regime and the wealth it offered. There's only one thing that could make establishment diplomats and murderous tyrants both tear out their hair, and that's Boris Johnson. 
an agent of chaos whose principles, ethics and next actions can neither be defined or predicted. As Zelensky has proved, a war is not politics, it is survival. And someone who can say the right things at the right time and in the right way can do more damage than a whole battalion of tanks. Johnson has been unpredictable, chaotic and inaccurate his entire life. From journalism to marriage by way of love children and technology lessons, no one knew what or who he would do next. He detonated his party, he blew up Brexit, he even exploded his own family. He's a man-grenade, an unstable element, and he doesn't fit in any job, category or suit. Putin may have considered Johnson a spineless dilettante with all the personal fibre of a wet jelly and a high wind, but he failed to note the one quality the man who is now Prime Minister has always reliably displayed. Self-preservation. And if the Kremlin has finally woken up to the fact that nobody's in charge of this weapon, then that's probably because he's doing something right for once and has just taken off one of his limbs. Welcome to our world, Vlad. Britain is glad that you're finally feeling our pain. <laughs>